one of these books. I'm not looking, I'm not looking. I've mixed them up. It is Cindy Rumery. Where is she? <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Take All right. it away. Great. Um, as, uh, before I get started here, as Bob mentioned, I'm going to be spending some time with some of you who uh, have occasion and privilege to work with couples either uh, in strengthening marriages or some of you may actually be involved in some sort of ministry uh, professionally or just as a layperson in supporting couples who are struggling. Uh, looking forward to that, uh, uh, to that time with you this afternoon. We're going to start that training at 2 o'clock. Uh, and that'll go from uh, 2 o'clock to 5. It'll be meeting in the garage area. Am I saying that right, Pastor Jason? The garage? Uh, so if you'd like to be a part of that, just uh, show up there. And uh, I'll be uh, sharing some further insight about coming alongside couples, nurturing health and vitality in marriages, dealing with uh, couples who are struggling and, and how to posture in a way that can be uh, helpful to them. So I'm uh, looking forward to hanging out with some of you there. Well, um, uh, Bob just finished the, the uh, discussion about caring for oneself, caring for yourself. Now the third step that we learn in this wilderness, all right, uh, about how to get to safety has to do with caring for your mate. Um, and again, if we can kind of go back to this idea of the journey, this is about how I show up in the presence of my spouse's journey. Like me, they are on a journey to become the man or woman that God called, created and called them to be. Um, they're the responsibility for them to, to, to ongoingly be conformed into the image of Christ is 100% their responsibility, 0% mine. My responsibility or my opportunity, if I can say it that way, is to come alongside, to be present in that journey with Mary Jo. So I'm on my journey, pursuing Christ, being surrendered, released to the transforming, renewing power of Christ in my life. She is on that same journey on, uh, as well. As her spouse, I have the opportunity to be present, uh, to love, honor, encourage, and, and assist in that journey. That is a very different posture than how I started in our marriage. I kind of started with this idea that because I'm the husband, it's my job to fix her. And she's, re she's very cute. Uh, she's, uh, she's got some wonderful talents and abilities, but I just couldn't wait to kind of get busy making her perfect. And she sadly became my project. Uh, I, and I have to tell you, one of the most painful areas that that showed up was in our sexual relationship. Sexual intimacy was this area of our relationship 
that had huge importance to me. I just, being intense, passionate in general, I had that same sort of orientation when it came to my sexuality. And so I I couldn't wait to get married. If you'd have asked me in my early 20s, you know, what are the elements of a great marriage? Well, I could have told you things like being teammates or partners and communication and all of that kind of thing. But the truth is, it was about sex for me. (laughs) The truth is, I wanted sex often and I wanted it to be great. And when it wasn't, something was wrong. And I think there's nothing wrong with me, so there must be something wrong with Mary Jo. And so one of the ways where I missed this truth, this insight, sadly, was in our sexual relationship. And it just led me to, to posture in ways that were very painful. Uh, uh, you know, in retrospect, Mary Jo was very gracious and forgiving, very patient with me. But it took me a long time to appreciate that it wasn't my job to make her perfect. It wasn't my job, my responsibility uh, to, to get her hitting on all cylinders. That that really was, that was really between her and God, not, not me and God. God isn't going to hold me accountable for her. He's going to hold me accountable for who I am, how I showed up as a husband. And sadly, I tended to show up as a dominating sort of do it my way or the highway. And that, that dynamic just really beat us up in a, in, a, in a bad way. So this session about what does it look like to care for my mate is really pretty, uh, uh, it's pretty poignant for me because it's as much as anything that, that I've learned about marriage and healthy marriage, um, learning how to be caring uh, without taking care of, I'll say a little bit more about that, uh, has been uh, a, uh, a really important personal journey for me. Part of that temperament, my personality, I'm pretty confident in my ideas and my assessments of things. And uh, so when I judge Mary Jo as somehow less than or needing to be, quote, fixed in some way. I'm confident about that. And it's just so easy for me to get preoccupied with that. And I lose sight of the special, precious child of God that she is. If she's a project, she stops being a person. And I wanted to be, the truth is, I wanted to be married to a person. The truth is, I fell in love with a person, not a project. So what does it look like to care for her as a person? Well, let me, let me use an illustration um, to, to kind of uh, maybe uh, give us a visual. Some of you are parents. Uh, Even if you're not a parent, you've probably had the opportunity to be in the presence of a newborn infant, right? Um, What's it like when you're holding a newborn infant for the first time? 
a little baby that's only maybe just minutes old, just a few hours or just a few days. Do you, do you remember what it has felt like? Some of you maybe have had a baby in the last year or you're, and there may be a few expectant moms in the audience. Yeah, what, what are the emotions that take place when you're holding a newborn infant? This picture of a newborn infant really gives me a lot of clarity when it comes to thinking about my responsibility to care for myself and to care about my spouse. Because in newborn infants, we see and recognize two kind of foundational or essential qualities of human beings. I've had the, uh, had the pleasure of being present at all four of the births of our children. And each time I'm there in the delivery room holding one of our kids for the first time, I'm overwhelmed with two sets of emotions. There's one set of emotions that are tied to, wow, this is amazing. This little life is I mean, you just can't put into words the awe, the, the just overwhelming sense of, of preciousness that this little life has. Um, this is someone of indescribable value. It, it, words are woefully inadequate to capture what I feel, how much love, how much passion I have to care for that little life. Right, uh, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because the way we normally attach worth and value to human beings, well, where does that come from? If I said to you, "There go, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they're valuable members of the community," what would you assume about Mr. and Mrs. Smith? What makes them valuable members of the community? Well, they volunteer, or they've got money or they bring a lot of notoriety to our community. They're, they're celebrities in some way, right? A newborn infant? <laughs> newborn has none of that stuff. Newborn can't bring me a glass of iced tea, <laughs> you know, mow the lawn for me, right? Can't do any of those things. And yet we all get it, don't we? That this little life is indescribably valuable. Our value, and where does that value come from? Not by, from what they do. It doesn't even come from how cute their little fingers and toes are. It comes from God. Because in that moment, as a Christian, I recognize that this little life belongs not to their mother and I, but to God himself. It's a miracle that they're here. Um, you know, newborns sort of acquainted, they confront us with the miracle, the miracle that life is. And that value, that worth, that rests in God. We were made from what? The dust of the ground. You know, the, the, the elements, I'm told, if you went to a chemical supply company and bought the water and minerals that make up the human body, it might total up to like $9.30 or something like that, you know, to purchase all the kind of raw elements that are 
that make up our bones, the muscle tissue, you know, the other organs and tissues in our body, the, all the water, $9.30. But when you're holding a newborn infant, holy cow, that's like, that's, I mean, it just grips that sense of value and vulnerability. The other set of emotions that's tremendously overwhelming in the same moment is, I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I was overwhelmed with this responsibility of being a parent. Like, Lord, is this really a good idea? You know, I have been known to drop things sometimes. (laughs) You're going to trust something so valuable to me? When I can drop things and I can mess up and I'm not perfect, I'm not ready to be a parent. Anybody else feel like that? When you had, maybe when you had your first or even second or third? It's like, I, how, this, this, you know, what is God thinking that he would trust such valuable human beings to other fallible, tainted, broken human beings like me to care for? I was aware in that moment that this little life is terribly, terribly vulnerable. And if you want to kind of keep in focus what you're really attending to in yourself and now in this session, in your mate, it's those two qualities. Mary Jo is indescribably valuable and terribly, terribly vulnerable. And caring well for her is all about how I show up in the presence of her value and vulnerability. And I sometimes do this exercise, particularly if I'm, if I'm struggling or we're, we're a little spin, spun out and I take some space and I'm trying to sort through what I'm feeling and I'm taking that to the Lord. And I ask the Lord, can you let me see Mary Jo through your eyes? What I see is that little infant. Because even though she's grown up and and in a woman's body and has intelligence and gifts and talents and capabilities, there's a way in which today she's still just as valuable as she ever was. Her value hasn't diminished because she's matured and become an adult. She's just as valuable to God as she was on the day she was born. And there are ways in which she remains vulnerable even though she's an adult and capable of caring for herself, etc. She still is very vulnerable. I think about my kids. It helps me. I don't care about my children any less today than I did on the day they were born. You know? And even though my kids are now all grown and adults, there's still a way, ways in which they're very vulnerable. And if I forget that and I'm insensitive or even perhaps cruel, unkind, well, they let me know that they're vulnerable. Caring about my mate, caring about Mary Jo is keeping that in focus. When I start to understand that she is a person of, of eternal indescribable value and terribly immense vulnerability, it just makes a difference in how I show up. I'm just not so inclined 
to be that rude neighbor that I referred to earlier, wanting to climb into her yard and make her a project because she is a fully functioning adult, capable, talented, special and precious in her own right. And it's presumptuous. It's, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for in this moment? It's almost like assuming a godlike place, authority in her life to say, I'm in charge of you and I'm the one to kind of be responsible for making you perfect. I mean, that, 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 that just flies in the face of everything we've been saying that the scriptures tells us about our relationship with God. So what does this look like? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. What does love look like? Paul summarized it this way. Patience, kindness, not envious, not boasting, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered. Pay attention, Bob. Not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love prevails. That, that's, that's the guy that I want to be. That's the picture of what God is calling me to be with Mary Jo. I have a, I'm not sure, I'm a layman when it comes to the scriptures. I'm trained as a psychologist and been a Christian since I was a teenager, but um, I have this uh, Bible, uh, this spiritual exercise that, that I do to kind of help the Bible become more real, in which I take passages uh, like this and others, and I'll insert my name into that passage to just see how it lands. So if I insert my name in here, it might read something like this. Bob, I want you to be patient. Bob, I want you to be kind. I want you to give up being envious. I want you to lay down your pride. Let's do something about that rudeness in you, Bob. Not seeking gratification of yourself. Can we pay attention to your anger? Can we do something about your anger, Bob? I want you not to delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. I want to see you, Bob, protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering. Because, Bob, when you love like that, you're going to come out on top. You're not going to fail. You see, take, take a favorite passage. All those passages where Jesus is talking about your neighbor. Who is that neighbor uh, if it's not your spouse? Love Mary Jo as you love yourself. You know, that, that, that's an exercise I've been doing to kind of sensitize me to how the Lord might be wanting to speak to me through this scriptures in a very uh, personal way. So what does this look like? Honoring, caring, uh, loving Mary Jo. Well, three things. I want to honor her worth in, in a big way by honoring how we're different. 
and I want to honor her feelings. Let's start, first of all, with honoring her worth. That means that through deed and my speech, what I do and how I talk, I recognize and respect her eternal worth and the imminent vulnerability that is in her. What is her worth and value? That imagining her as her mom and dad would have seen her when she was born. Imagining letting myself see her through God's eyes as he knit her together in her mother's womb. Who is that person? Can I honor her worth and value? When I let that kind of be primary in my focus, wow, it just affects the way I show up. It changes my tone of voice. One of the things that it uh, does, and this is kind of a critical formula for safety, is it slows me down and it softens me. Uh, Researchers have studied couples who have entered marriage counseling. Uh, Many people are aware that marriage is in trouble, that something like 50% of marriages are going to end in divorce, is kind of what the statistics tell us. But what many people aren't aware of is that researchers have identified that if someone will go to a marriage counselor, see a therapist, go to a program like ours, that 85% of those couples will get better. They'll do better than couples that don't do anything. 85% chance of doing better, those are pretty good odds. Those are pretty good odds. Um, And when researchers study those couples who go into counseling and things get better, the two things that couples report over and over that change is that they report a softening toward themselves, toward their spouse, and toward the relationship, and they report that the pace of the relationship slows down. I can't think of a, 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 a more ingenious formula for safety, soft and slow. One of the ways that I honor Mary Jo's worth is I just slow down. Instead of being kind of, you know, full on and kind of charging hard like I'm prone to do, if I'll just take a deep breath and slow down and soften, lower my tone of voice, soften my posture, sit down instead of stand up. I heard a story, I can't remember where I heard this, but it was of a pastor who was starting to appreciate that how unsafe he had become in his marriage. And this pastor apparently was a pretty big guy. He was like 6'6", about 320 pounds. And he had a, had a preacher's voice. So imagine 6'6", 320 pounds, and a booming preacher voice. Imagine being married to that, <laughs> okay? And there's an argument. It wouldn't be hard to be intimidated pretty quickly. So he, I love this story, he took responsibility for how he was showing up in the relationship, made it a priority to, to care more effectively for her. And so he began the practice, and some of, some of the other guys in the room might, might want to consider this, particularly if you're physically uh, dramatically larger than your wife. He began the practice of when they were having a serious discussion, 
he would lay on the floor on his back while they talked. And she would either sit or stand nearby. But just being in the posture of laying on his back, lowering his voice, dramatically changed their interactions because he softened and it slowed down. It was a way of him honoring her worth. What, how do I show up so that I communicate to Mary Jo, I get it that you are really valuable. And I get it that you're really vulnerable and I want to be really careful with your valuable, vulnerable heart. The second thing is honoring their differences. Uh, Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Um, often we look at differences between ourselves and our spouses as that's the source of our conflict. I've certainly camped out there many times because, again, as I've uh, been mentioning, Mary Jo and I are very different people. And so it's easy for me to see that our problem is that she's different from me. So if I make her my project, guess what? I'm trying to make her like me. Sexuality, I want to make her sexuality like mine. You need to think about sex like I do. You need to approach sex the way I do. Uh, uh, a big mess. Uh, can I look at our differences as an opportunity? Can I look at our differences as part of God's design for giving me an opportunity to grow and appreciate my humanity, her humanity, what God might be wanting to do with us in this relationship. Um, I've come to understand that marriage is part of God's strategy for shaping me and molding me into this person that he wants me to be. Imagine the challenge that God has at creation. He creates me uh, in his image, with all these abilities and possibilities, and he gives me free will, right? He's going to respect my, my uh, power of self-determination. And yet he desires and longs for a relationship with me. But he doesn't want a relationship where I'm a pet or a robot. He wants a relationship where I freely surrender and seek him, and it becomes this intimate, collaborative exchange of intimacy. That's what he really desires. So how is he going to motivate me to, to see him that way? So I'm, I'm imagining God and sitting in the garden, and he's just finishing creating Adam, and it's like, okay, so how am I going to get this guy to seek me. I need, to, I need some mechanism that'll bring him to the end of himself. Some mechanism that'll impress on him that he's helpless and powerless and that he needs something other than himself. And I, I, it would be really cool if that mechanism also had the promise and the possibility for experiencing intimate closeness 
for feeling loved and loving at a deep level, to kind of give him a hint of what his relationship with me could be like. Let's see, what could, I know, marriage! (laughs) Think about it. What other relationship do human beings enter that bring us to the end of ourselves and at the same time give us an opportunity to know and be known at the most intimate level? Marriage is this kind of part of God's genius of how to get me in a place where he can really do what needs to be done so that I get prepared for eternity. Because while Mary Jo and I will enjoy some sort of relationship in eternity, Jesus is pretty clear it's not going to be marriage, right? There's no giving and receiving of marriage in heaven. Marriage is about here and now. What is the purpose of marriage? God's purpose does everything for a purpose. And his genius around marriage, I would challenge you, is about getting me ready to spend eternity with him. That being brought to the end of myself, that opportunity to know what it's like to be known and know and love and be loved, that all happens in marriage. Pretty brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant strategy, I think, that God has for us. Um, so honoring differences. Then the other way to care about Mary Jo, the, the other way to really show up in a way that communicates that I get her value and her vulnerability is to honor her feelings. Bob was just talking about emotions uh, being data, being information. If I want to learn about Mary Jo, if I really want to understand her, a big uh, a doorway, a path to get that is understanding how she operates emotionally. I like to think about it as getting a PhD in Mary Jo's studies, okay? I got a PhD in clinical psychology, took me a little over four years going to school all year round, and that's, that's what prepared or trained me for the work that I do. I get to spend a lifetime getting a PhD in Mary Jo's studies. I am studying to understand who is that woman that God created her to be. And a big part of understanding her, getting to know her, is listening, appreciating, valuing her emotions. What's going on in her heart? Making understanding her a priority. Avoiding the pitfalls of judging her feelings or wanting to change her feelings, things that we've already been talking about. Let's, when it comes to feelings, let's, um, let's consider a popular myth. Listening carefully and understanding the words people are saying is the essence of effective communication. This is actually what I was taught in man school. Any other guys go to man school? All right. I was taught in man's school, say what you mean and mean what you say, right? And I was taught in man's school to pay attention to the words. And so when I'm, when I'm talking to Mary Jo, I'm very careful about the words that I use. And I say only the words that I mean, and I choose them and select them carefully to convey my meaning. Because in man's school, they taught me, say what you mean and mean what you say. Well, 
uh, researchers have determined that people feel more understood, cared for, and connected when communication focuses first on emotions and feelings. And what someone is conveying emotionally very often is not about the words. In fact, researchers have suggested maybe 90 to 95% of a message in an interpersonal communication may be carried more by tone of voice, posture, movement, how close or distant proximity you are to the person. It's all that nonverbal stuff. If I really want to care and honor Mary Jo's feelings, I have to listen to so much more than just the words that she's using. She may say something like, you always do this. What do you mean always do this? You never listen to me. And I, you know, in man school, they taught me, you say what you mean and mean what you say. It's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, last week you were just telling me, thanks for listening to you. How can you say in this moment that I never listened to you? This is not, you know, and so I get all sort of preoccupied and confused because she's using words like always and never. Well, what I'm coming to understand is that she's, she's using language to express what she feels, not to convey the objective truth like she might be asked to do in a court of law, <laughs> right? She's using language to convey her emotional message. And yeah, I would probably hear it better if she didn't use words like always and never, but it's sort of beside the point. If I'm in that moment taking an opportunity to care about her, it means listening past just the specific words, but what is the emotional message? At National Institute of Marriage, we uh, will spend a considerable amount of time helping couples appreciate this by teaching them how to communicate more effectively. And what we've noticed is that couples who communicate really well demonstrate at least two forms of communication. The first form of communication we like to call work talk. It's a form of communicate, and this is something, again, that's not in your workbook, uh, so you'll want to kind of write this down in the notes section. Work talk is a form of communication that's very task-focused. Like, what, what's the task, and how do we accomplish that task? It tends to be carried by logic and data. It's what couples use to make decisions, solve problems, and when it's done well, they often report a sense of accomplishment. Couples who communicate well do this kind of communication well. Work talk. They make decisions, solve problems, get things done. It's efficient, to the point, knock it out. But that's not the only way that they communicate. They communicate with another style as well, something we call heart talk. It's a style of communication more focused on the relationship, carried by feelings. It's a form of communication used to build and nurture, excuse me, understanding, and its result is a more intense, secure attachment between partners. That bond, that that feeling of, of loving connection. Can anyone else recognize that these two styles are really, really different? 
Yeah? Can you see that? Yeah, what, what do you suppose happens when one spouse is approaching an issue? Let's say you're trying to make a decision on how you're going to spend a Saturday. All right? So the weekend's coming, and you're talking about what are we going to do on Saturday? And one spouse is coming at it from the work talk angle. Right? They're thinking about all the things that's been piled up that needs to get done and, or some project or some event that they want to go to and what's going to need to happen and what we're, how we're going to pack and prepare. To, they're really task-focused. But the other spouse is coming at that same conversation heart-focused. And they're thinking about, gee, I'm hoping we get some quality time together. Would, th- would this Saturday be one of those days where we really have some time to feel connected and I could feel close to my spouse, right? Do you see what's building up here, right? So one's going at it from the heart side, one's going at it from the work side. I used to call that being like ships passing in the night. And one couple stopped me and said, oh no, Bob, that's not ships passing in the night, that's ships colliding, in the night, right? Uh, Anybody identify with that pattern? (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm curious. It seems that, uh, that each individual person develops a propensity or a sort of inclination to do relationship more from one of those orientations than the other. As I've described word talk and I've described heart talk, Do you see a pattern in yourself where you're maybe more inclined to go um, more from the work talk side than the heart talk side, or more from the heart talk side instead of the work talk side? Some of you see a pattern like, how many of you would say, I'm primarily a work talker? I tend to think for the task. Yeah. How many of you would say you're more the heart talker, more from the heart side? Uh, Now, in case you hadn't noticed... It's not, a, it's not absolute, but there seem to be more male hands on the work side and more female hands on the, on the heart side. I'm not, I'm not sure all the, all the factors that contribute to that, um, but there does seem to be a trend. Um, couples who understand that there are two different styles of communicating, and when it comes to caring... When it comes to kind of coming alongside in a loving, caring way, this heart talk stuff really matters. It really counts. Uh, I thought about showing this video, but I'm still evaluating whether I really like it or not. But there's a video right now that's gone viral that's circulating on YouTube and the Internet. If any of you uh, like to surf YouTube, called It's Not About the Nail. Has, has anybody seen this? Yeah? If you, if you haven't seen it and you're curious, you, you might want to look at It's Not About the Nail. It illustrates what, I, what I'm talking about. This woman is having a conversation with her husband, and she's got a nail sticking out of her head. And she's, she's talking about how she feels, and he says, you know, I bet if we got that nail out of your head, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have a headache. And she says, it's not about the nail. 
And, and, and so the videos sort of illustrate, it's quite, it's quite funny. But, and what it, part of what it illustrates is he finally gets it, and, he, and so he, he ignores the nail, and he does say to her, wow, that must be really hard. And she softens immediately. And she says, yeah, it is hard. Thank you. And there's this just second where they're, you see they're intensely connected. And I won't, I won't spoil it for you, but then there's a funny moment that happens in the video after they make that caring connection. Caring about my mate, showing up in a caring way is about attending to this more emotional side. So what is the goal? The goal is about caring. It's irrelevant whether their feelings are logical, true, accurate, rational, uh, how I feel, or even make sense. The goal is to care about Mary Jo's feelings, what her, her emotions are, to let it matter to me. I don't have to fix them. Uh, there was a moment uh, uh, early in our marriage when I, when I, I had a very clear uh, lesson in these differences. I was, I was in graduate school and I was starting to understand these differences in communication and it became apparent to me that this might be part of what's going on with Mary Jo and I. And uh, she was unpacking for me something that she really had some intense feelings about. And she's starting to go into it and I can recognize that she, she really is stirred up about it. And I stopped her and said, wait, 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 wait. Is this something that you want my help in trying to fix? Or is this just something you want to talk about? She looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, no, I don't, I'm not telling you this because I want you to solve it. I just want to tell you about it. Light bulb moment, choir saying, whoa. You just want me to listen? (laughs) I mean, I don't have to give you a solution. I don't have to tell you how to do it better. I could, you just, if I just nod my head and uh uh-huh and and I'm I'm kind of warm and that'll be enough? I said, yeah, that's all. I just want to tell you about it. I kid you not, before that moment, every conversation that we had was a challenge. And I I couldn't understand. Like, she would start talking to me about something. I'd say, well, you know, if you, you really should have done this and you missed this part. And, you know, next time you ought to do ABC. And, you know, if you just worked a little harder on this, then this problem wouldn't happen. And she'd get frustrated and leave. I'm like, wait a time out. You can't be mad at me when I'm caring about you, right? When I'm taking care, when I'm solving. This is me trying to be caring. And she didn't feel cared for at all. Why? Because I was fixing. I was in my work talk mode, not the heart talk mode. Figuring out how to get in that heart talk mode is huge. Well, I want to close this session um, and share a tune with you. Uh, this song is special to me because um, uh, for, it'll be new to you, but it's old for me. This is a song that I wrote when Mary Jo and I were dating. There she is again. She is precious to me. And it's a tune that I um, 
that articulates what I understood early in our relationship about what a precious blessing she was in my life. And uh, uh, a couple of years ago, my son got married and his wife, uh, he and his wife asked me to sing at the reception. And I pulled this song out and worked over it a little bit and uh, shared it at the reception as a way to kind of encourage them to posture in this way that communicates caring. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. If, uh, if you're interested in uh, taking home with you some of, uh, some of the music that I'm sharing, I've got some CDs over here as well, and I'd uh, love for you to have, a, have one of those to take home with you. This is called Blessings. It goes like this. I see a hundred daisies in a meadow lush and green. My heart begins to ponder all the grace surrounding me. As I recall each blessing great and small, some time distant, some brand new. They fall on me like a cooling rain on a summer afternoon. Oh, the blessings of the Lord are true. One of those blessings. I just want to thank the Lord every time, every time I think of you. When the rain has come and gone, sometimes a rainbow will appear. Sky becomes a canvas of joy, framing a message loud and clear. And as the earth says thanks to the Lord, with a rainbow in the blue, so this song is an offering of praise. To the Lord for you. Do you know your spouse is a blessing? All oh, the blessings of the Lord are true. One of those blessings is you. I just want to thank the Lord every time, every time I. Yes, the blessings of the Lord are true. One of those blessings is you. I just want to thank the Lord every time, every time I think of you.
I just want to thank the Lord every time, every time I think of you. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, Bob is going to deliver our final session about how now to care for your marriage. About 10 minutes.